Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and we are talking our favorite books of the year with, of course, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me back. I can't believe we're doing this again. It feels like it was just last year, two minutes ago, or is that just me? I know time goes by so fast. Like, weren't we just talking about our favorites of 2022? Yeah, I, I feel like we missed a year in there somewhere. So glad to have you back. I think it's going to be a great episode. I was looking at the notes we have and somebody had quite a few favorites this year. So I'm hoping it's going to be a good long one. It was really hard <laughs> to narrow it down. Like I had so many five-star reads. This was a year with so many incredible books that I, I really had a hard time narrowing it down. So I honestly feel bad for the ones that are not going to get mentioned. Oh, they're like the the lesser love child. Well, that's fantastic because I definitely remember, uh, was it last year? There was one year where I remember early in the year, we kind of had a tough start to the year and both of us were messaging going, how are we going to make this episode? How are we going to make this episode? And I think I believe it turned into a pretty fantastic year. But this year just started out strong and never really stopped. So I think both of us have so many good picks. And I say this every year, but I have this moment of panic that despite having so many favorites, I'm like, these books are amazing. Clearly, they're all going to be Stephanie's favorites. And then somehow we end up with different books every year without trying. So it works out perfectly that you basically read everything I didn't get to this year. So I don't know how you plan that without maybe I guess you could be watching my YouTube videos. So there you go. Maybe you're you're planning this more carefully than I am. Which is funny because the same for you, like so many favorites on your list. I'm like, oh, I didn't get to those. So I'm glad they're at least getting a mention because you got to those. To be fair, there was a couple last minute favorites where I was reading the book thinking Stephanie would absolutely love this, but I'm going to wait and tell her on the episode because that way she doesn't read it beforehand and steal my pick. (laughs) So confession time. I held back on the good books. It's okay. Now I'm just going to leave this episode with like a giant TBR, but that's normal for us. That's every year. Like every year, the next year, my backlist favorites are basically just listing out whatever your front list favorites were for the year. All right. Well, I feel like this is going to be a long episode. So honestly, should we just dive right in? I'm good with that. Let's go. I know people want the good stuff. Yeah. We do the controversial thing of starting out with favorite novel. Yeah. Every year we give away the goods. You know why it's a podcast. Like if you already downloaded it to listen to it, you already downloaded it. So there you go. You can't you can't undo that. The counts already be made. So one of my favorites this year, surprising absolutely no one, is Black Sheep by Rachel Harrison. At this point, I think I'm certified as a Rachel Harrison fangirl, but this is Rachel Harrison writing about cults and religious trauma. So I mean So kind of up your alley. A little bit. Did you read this one? No, shamefully, I have not read this book. Somehow it is the only 2023 release that I didn't get to this year. I was sent a copy and usually I'm so good with reading whatever arcs are sent, but for some reason it's still sitting there. I'm looking at it right as we talk and I think I'm going to have to pick up this right after we finish recording because if you love it, I think I'm going to have to change that. And you need to tell me like the minute you're done reading it. Actually, I'm going to need like updates while you're reading it. To be okay, honest. we might need the, <laughs> the read-along podcast episode <laughs> where we all just listen to me flip pages and then yeah. discuss. No, it's just a video. We just watch your reactions. It's just a time lapse of like, <gasps> <laughs> and you just have on the screen shows what page. Okay, so pitch the book to me. Uh, for some reason, this book's been sitting on my shelf for too long. Tell me what I have been missing. 
Okay. I'm not going to go into too much because it is one of those books, like the less you know, the better. I will say this is about a woman named Vesper who grew up in a religious cult. Uh, Like the novel opens and she's a waitress at a restaurant and she's just like grudgingly singing people happy birthday. And she's just like, I hate every minute of this. And she goes home and sees an invitation. This invitation is to a wedding, and the wedding is between her childhood best friend and her ex-boyfriend. If she wants to go to this wedding, she needs to go back to her home, to this religious cult, this toxic environment. And I don't know. I really feel like that's all I'm going to say. But I will say this was such an interesting look at this type of situation, like having someone in the real world, like stepping back into this kind of toxic religious environment and the insights that are there from that perspective. That does sound fantastic. So that is Black Sheep by Rachel Harrison. So for myself, I had some fantastic novels I read this year. So the first favorite is Black River Orchard by Chuck Windig. I really loved their previous work, A Book of Accidents. So no surprise, their newest release. Uh, did you get a chance to read this one yet? I know it's a chunker, so I understand <laughs> if you didn't get to it yet. It's like, do I read three books or do I read this one? I heard a lot of good things, though. It's fantastic. So many people in my YouTube comments were telling me, why haven't you read this book? Why haven't you read this book? So I'm glad that they kept pestering me until I did. Uh, So this book, if you don't know, is a piece of epic horror. It's told from multiple perspectives, but the primary one that introduces the story is we follow this father who has just created or produced this different kind of apple. And so we follow him and his daughter as they're going off to sell it at the farmer's market. The daughter is really supportive of her father, but happens to have an allergy to apples. So she doesn't really partake. And the story, of course, is told from different perspectives within this town. And different reviewers will say more or less about what's going on in the story. I think just to hook people in, I will let them know that it is about a town where everyone becomes very obsessed and passionate about apples. And the story, of course, goes from there. So for me... There's so much I love about this one. I, again, really like what I describe as epic horror, where, again, it feels very large in scale. I read a lot of epic fantasy, and so because of that, I kind of like where the stakes are bigger. You have, again, those different perspectives and kind of seeing the story build where you don't entirely know where it's going until it kind of gets there. And so within the story, the author is becomes really interested in, in apples. He talks about in the afterward. And so within the story, he actually built in all of these crazy apple facts about the history of apples and how they came to North America and the different types. And you get these info dumps of apple facts. And that might sound like the most boring thing. I might be ruining this pitch to you. But trust me, I have never been so fascinated in apples reading all these uh, little bits and bobs and little information, little nuggets, all that. I loved it so much. And then on top of that, as Chuck Winded tends to do, he's just really good at writing scary stories. This book had some really dark and gruesome imagery in it. I found myself really being able to picture what is going on in the story. I don't know about you, but for me, for as much as I read, I actually really struggled to often picture what's happening, but there was no way not to picture some of the gruesome things that were happening. And they really stuck with me in a very unsettling way, but a good unsettling way, the way that I want it to be. So this book was fun. It was smart. It was witty. It had some nice, inclusive, diverse aspects to it. And I think it's just one of those big crowd pleasers where I can pretty widely recommend this to anyone who likes horror. I think a lot of people are going to like it. There is something kind of for everyone. And 
it's just fantastic. I don't know. I've never seen a book that could actually make me kind of scared of apples. And it like I cannot look at apples since reading this without thinking about this story, <laughs> which always is a good sign. So that, again, is Black River Orchard by Chuck Wendig. I... I love that. Um, I remember back when I was on Twitter, I followed Chuck Wendig on Twitter and he did post a lot about apples. So it seems like he has been interested in apples for a long time. So I'm glad that it was put to like horror use. Yeah, he finally found something to do with all that <laughs> random information in his head. Exactly. <laughs> no, it worked so well. And I remember reading the reviews and people being like, oh, apples are scary. And you're like, okay, honey, okay. And then I was like, no, sure. no, I'm right there with them. I'm going <laughs> to keep the campaign going. Apples are absolutely terrifying now. My next favorite of the year was really surprising. Um, I loved Rouge by Mona Awad. I remember I had picked up Bunny on audio like a few years ago and I, I DNF'd it, not because I wasn't enjoying it. It was just like a little too grating at the time because the narrator was just too good at imp- at voicing these grating characters. <laughs> but, um, and I know Mona Awad is known for like very weird literary mm-hmm. type of horror. So I kind of knew that going in. This is about um, a woman named Belle who is back in California after the death of her mother. Like she's there, you know, to attend her funeral and kind of, you know, deal with that business and packing up her belongings and stuff. While she is there, she is invited to the same spa, like this very exclusive spa that her mom attended. Both of them were obsessed with all things like beauty and skincare and looking younger. And I think just getting into the dark side of this spa and the intricacies of this mother-daughter relationship all through the lens of like fairy tales and the beauty industry as this like gothic element was very interesting. And it's one of those books that I feel like every little thing you look at is intentional, like character names, everything just serves a purpose. And like, the more you dissect it, the more rewarding it is just how intentional every piece of the story was. That sounds fantastic. And I can see in your notes here, you talk about like complicated mother daughter relationships, like, you know, uh, dissecting like the beauty industry and things like that. Like it's all buzzwords for me. It's always, whenever we do this video, whenever we do this podcast, I'm always thinking, why have I not read this book? And it's one again that I definitely have on my radar. I think I, if I remember, I'm probably on the whole list through the library. If an author does not send me a copy, if I can't get something through publishers, I usually have to wait long library wait times, which is usually the culprit for me not getting to something. But I remember reading the synopsis and thinking that sounds exactly like the kind of book I would love. So sure enough, I'm convinced even more so that I'm going to love it. (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely loved it. And now I really want to go back and check out her other books um, all as well. And finally, Finish Bunny, which I think I, I might need to do physically because audio is just not the way to go for that. <laughs> yeah, several people have told me that Bunny is amazing. And yeah. people have messaged me that I didn't realize the author, uh, Mona, she's Canadian. So there you go. You're oh, yeah. slipping in extra Canadian picks. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. Um, there's also a lot of like French words. So I think if you have like a, even a basic understanding of French, you'll get some like Easter eggs and kind of references early that people like me who don't speak French like didn't piece together. Nice. I'm a terrible French Canadian, but I was because then I'm curious to see how much of my very beginner French I would be able to parse out of that one. You have to be curious for sure. 
So that is Rouge by Mona Awad. All right. My next pick is Deliver Me by Ellie Nash. And this specifically is the book that I was reading thinking, oh my goodness, Stephanie is going to love this book. And I'm keeping it to myself because she will steal this pick if I let her read it before the end of the year. I don't think you've gotten to it. Last I looked, it was on your to-be-read list on Goodreads. Uh, So forgive me if I'm wrong, but this story, if anyone doesn't know, uh, follows a woman who is trying to get pregnant. At the beginning of the story, she's had failed pregnancies before. So just general content warnings for trying to conceive and so forth that that's not something that you're wanting or comfortable to read about at any point in time but we follow a woman right at the beginning of the story where she has successfully become pregnant she is also working in a meat processing plant so that plays into the story she goes home then to her boyfriend who she calls daddy and she just her nickname for her boyfriend is daddy i need to be clear about that so you don't think the story is more weird than it is but it's definitely weird the story has a evangelical religious bent And so that plays largely into the story. They live with her family and the religious overtones just course through this book. So this book is one that I'll be honest, is very hard to pitch, really hard to put a finger on exactly what box you would put it into. It's doing a lot of things and the narrative goes to a lot of different places, but it hits on so many things I love that I think it just is very successful in doing things where other authors have failed. So obviously with the meat packing processing part, it gave me small vibes of tender as the flesh. So if you love that gruesome meat horror aspect of the story, like something like meat from Joseph Delancey got those vibes as well. And again, it leans into the horrors of pregnancy. And specifically, I was thinking of you just because again, it has the those light uh, cultish vibes of the story very much where religion is being treated as first and foremost as law in a way of not being able to kind of dissect and discern things individually, but just looking at things in a very blanketed way. And just the weirdness that seeps through the story. Again, it's one that I love and is makes it so hard to recommend because of its weirdness. It's not a book I would blindly recommend to everyone. I wouldn't give it to my mother, but I would probably say that about most of the horror books I read. Uh, but I like this one. I think it's unexpected. I think it's a little bit more underhyped. I don't see as many people talking and reviewing it so I hope that more people will check it out because I know there's people who listen to this podcast who share my love and our love really of these kind of weird twisty female horror stories and this one is just smart and unsettling and strange in the best possible way so that again is Deliver Me by Ellie Nash. I will say since we started putting this Google Doc together and I saw you put this on your favorites, um, it immediately went from my to read list to my currently reading shelf. So I am a few pages into this and I am obsessed with it. The writing is gorgeous. It is Mm -hmm. so dark and weird. I'm highlighting so many passages. It's I do. I love nothing more than first person weird POV. Just someone who has a weird way of looking at the world and logic that just doesn't hold up or make any sense. I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm into. Absolutely. Okay, you make me so happy because reading the book, like I said, I had this strong feeling that you would love it in a way I don't always get with other books. Sometimes I can kind of have a guess and be, oh, you probably like this. But I was like, she will absolutely love this book. And it's a funny, the book I believe showed up from a publicist. It's one of those books where I have no memory of requesting it. I searched my inbox and I can't figure out who really sent it to me or I don't have any memory or record of ever saying yes to this book. It showed up on my doorstep. And... I think for me too, actually. Okay. 
So it's one of these times where I don't know if I'd normally be disturbed that some publicist has my address that I don't know who it is. But in this time, I, I make no, you know, I can't complain because I'm way too happy how that turned out. And I rarely get unsolicited review copies. And it rarely turns out well when they do send something that I haven't said yes to. But yeah, this was a surprise and kind of an unsettling one in the best possible way. Okay, so my next one, keeping on brand. Obviously, favorites are our personal opinion, and that comes with our own like personal stories and backgrounds. So yes, of course, I did pick another like religious trauma horror pick. <laughs> Noticing that's kind of the theme of this year, isn't it? <laughs> kind of a good follow up to your recent episode about the documentary. Yeah, <laughs> not on bit. purpose. We did not plan this, but let's give another plug to that episode. <laughs> it was fantastic. Thank you. Um, I am talking, of course, Camp Damascus by Chuck Tingle which I was very excited for. Um, And it was funny because Neil from Talking Scared actually messaged me and said, hey, I think you would really like this book. Like if you're open to reading stuff about it. And I'm like, I definitely am. Um, Amazing. So it's a little different. This is a conversion camp. But the audiobook, in case people didn't know, is narrated by Mara Wilson. Um, She does a lot of audiobook narration. She does a great job with this one this is about um, a woman from a small town and this small town um has a, a big church and kind of the big church's thing is they brag about this conversion camp that they run that has a like 100 percent success rate i don't want to say too much we are following the the narrator who is in this you know very church centric community and she is being haunted by things like she sees things that aren't there and she's kind of just trying to make sense of the world I don't know this was a book that I think captured a lot of things really well I think it's just such a story of like queer joy and love and triumph with this religious trauma lens that I'm I listened to Chuck Tingle's interview and he said he was not raised evangelical which was shocking to me because of how well it was portrayed and kind of this certain characters with this you know like patriarchal just like christian love and the way that was on the page i'm like yeah that is exactly what it's like that's impressive when an author can do that. I'm always assuming whenever an author captures something so well, it must be a personal experience of theirs. So when you mm-hmm. find out that's not the case, I'm always doubly impressed by their efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was Camp Damascus by Chuck Tingle. Then my final pick for favorite horror novel of the year, not counting debuts, is going to be Delicate Condition by Daniel Valentine. And this is a story that follows a woman who at the beginning of the story is trying to get pregnant. Apparently that is my theme of this year, I'm just noticing. And so we follow her as she is going through different IVF treatments along with her husband. And it's right in the setup of the book, so I don't think it's saying too much, that very early into the book, she starts to notice that things are going wrong. She seems to be missing appointments, possibly forgetting her medication, and just certain things that are possibly going to ruin her chances of actually having this IVF process go through and succeed. And so very early on, she becomes suspicious and wonder if someone is sabotaging her or if she's just becoming forgetful. 
So this is one that, if I remember, it was you, Stephanie, who messaged me. I think you had already read it and politely gave me a nudge saying, have you read it? If not, you should. And so the reason I believe you tapped me on the shoulder is that I'm pretty public about the fact that I did IVF to have my son. <laughs> you got to hear the pains and woes of me going through all of that. So I'm going to save those listening for going into the nitty gritty details of how this book connected entirely, because I don't think everyone wants to hear my whole pregnancy story online. But the part I will say is is that the process and description of the medication, the challenges, all of that was so on point and specific. And this kind of tying in with what you were saying with the last book is I actually have not done the research at this point, um, but I would be very shocked and surprised if the author, Daniel Valentine, has not gone through IVF herself because it is so specific, her representation and detailed. It didn't feel like a generic story that is just kind of told by Googling what is IVF like, but some of the little nuances felt so, so personal to me and very much reflected what I went through in a way that really rang true is it felt like an own voices story. Even if it wasn't, she did it so well that it came across that way, which I always think is a huge win for an author. In terms of the story, this is one that definitely crosses the line between horror and thriller. I think it's best not to say too much about where it falls, but obviously I felt that it was horror enough to be included in this video here. Where it leans into some of the tropes of thrillers, it also leans into some of the tropes of horror. So I don't think it's a spoiler to say that you're going to see nods to Rosemary's Baby anytime you bring up a story involving pregnancy and horror. You will see those reflections in the text. This is not a retelling of that, but really taking those same nods. And because of that, there's certain expectations that I went into this book expecting, and they turned out to be different. And so I love an author that can lead me through certain tropes and then do something I haven't seen before, take it in a different direction and do something um, that I wasn't expecting along the way. So I love that. With this one, I do want to give a general content warning for those that are, again, experiencing a pregnancy or miscarriage loss, anything like that. Just know that that is something that potentially is a concern and worry within the book. And I do think could be very triggering, especially for someone going through IVF. I could not have read this book while I was going through this IVF process because it would have been far too stressful for me. But after I'm done all it and I have this beautiful son who is healthy, I am able to to appreciate this book, looking back at the trauma without actually re-experiencing it. So love this book, highly recommend it. Obviously I'm pitching it to a specific audience, but I'm happy to say that since you liked it, Stephanie, I do think the book has some wider appeal, hopefully gives people insight into that experience and a bit more empathy or understanding about what that infertility road is like for those that haven't gone through it and for different individuals if they want to learn more about it. But overall, a really good thriller with some good twists and turns. So that again is Delicate Condition by Daniel Valentine. I'm so glad you liked it. And I remember as you were reading it, you were sending me Voxer messages about just how accurate it was. You're like, no, no, no. Like this also happened to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I figured some of it I, yeah, would save the audience here listening. Probably don't want to hear the ins and outs of it. But I absolutely made you listen to all of, all of my and woes I loved and it. this medication and then this symptom happened. And it was lovely. So I appreciate you entertaining me for all of my uh, thoughts while reading this book because it definitely brought up a lot of memories I'd completely forgotten. Ended up having some good conversations with my husband. We just kind of, he didn't read the book, but it gave an excuse for us to kind of rehash things that we had kind of locked away in our memory and kind of put aside for a long time since then. Yeah. Okay. I did have some honorable mentions in this category. Like I told you, I had so many books. <laughs> that it was tough to to get it down. Um, so I did want to mention Night's Edge by Liz Karen. 
And this is a vampire story. I really loved the world building in this because in this, like vampirism is a disease that's kind of acknowledged by the government. Like there is a world where like they they understand vampirism is there in this form and they're like tracking people with it and they kind of send them to certain facilities. And this is about a a woman whose mother has been a vampire and the kind of toxic codependency that has come from that relationship as she's trying to keep her mother's vampirism a secret. Also, her mother hasn't aged at a since this certain point. And like now the daughter's getting to the point where she looks older than her mother. And she's been this parentified only child and has really put living her life on hold to take care of her mother. And I really loved the way that the story went into this relationship and the way it used vampirism. Um, and it has, I don't know if it's going to be longer, but there is a, se- like, I don't know if it's just a duology, but there is a sequel to it coming out called like First Light. Another one I wanted to include was Nestlings by Nat Cassidy. Um, Mary and Awakening of Terror was Either your fa- one of your favorites or one of my favorites last yeah, year. Yeah, I think you took it last year, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I was very excited for this follow-up also dealing with vampirism and a lot of parent horror this year. Like the the horror of like having a parent and also the horrors of being a parent. I just really loved it. No, that's one I still haven't gotten to. Sorry, my life. You're going to hear that too much through this <laughs> recording here. I do love that we flip-flopped on that. Like all the ones you loved, I haven't read and all the ones. <laughs> like I said, people are going to think that we planned this out, but we're far not organized enough to do that. <laughs> it's like, you take these books, I'll take these ones, and we'll meet it month and year end. But yeah. no. All right. Well, should we talk about some of our favorite debut novels? For sure. I can go first since you just uh, gave a recommendation. So I want to start by giving a caveat that as best as I know, these are debut novels, but I feel like despite doing Googling to check if the author has other books, I sometimes am surprised. So I give a huge disclaimer if I have been mistaken here. The first one I want to talk about is Mayfly by C.J. Lead. And this is a short, but I believe it's still considered a full-length novel that is set in Los Angeles. We follow a woman who by day works as a Disney princess doing parties, things like that. And then by night, she goes out and parties in L.A. with her friends. Something happens, and within the story, she becomes inspired to take on the persona of Patrick Bateman and live her best psychopathic life. And that is probably the best or only way I can try to uh, summarize a book like this. If you don't know, I must have talked about it, I want to say last year, American Psycho has definitely become one of my all-time favorite books. So any book that is very much inspired by that same style of story works very well for me. And so here... Here I want to recommend this one because obviously it has those same nods. The writing is sharp and cutting. And as I mentioned, I think this is a full-length novel. I don't think it's a novella, but it is a very short book in comparison to some of the other ones I'm going to talk about here. And that is something I like often. There is no fat. There's nothing I would cut out. Every page, every chapter feels very purposeful. It's a character study. And you could argue in some ways that not always a lot of plot is necessarily happening. But just like with American Psycho, I was just as enamored by the scenes involving Patrick Bateman just being inside his head that I didn't necessarily read that book for the violence or the gruesomeness of it, but just wanting to be inside the head of someone so psychotic. 
And that's the experience I got there. I love that this one, of course, is female-led, a bit of a gender flip on a story that you normally would see from a male perspective. And I said it before in my YouTube videos, but I'm actually someone who is not enamored by LA or Los Angeles culture. It's a place, and I don't want to lose anyone listening to this. I was going to say, if you're listening from LA, I love you. But I haven't been ever someone who's like been as excited or interested in the kind of the Hollywood, the glamour, the lifestyle that kind of is the stereotype of LA, at least. So having an entire book about LA and actually having me not just like it, but love it says a lot to the fact that I think it leaned into it. And again, the same way that Patrick Bateman plays with the yuppie culture of the 80s and kind of glorifies that Wall Street society culture. The author does the same thing here with LA, and I think it's so smart and honestly a book written for someone like myself who isn't always buying into the LA glamour, and I think that it's just such a great way to discuss and analyze it in a way that just feels really smart, and I just love it. So again, that is Mayfly by CJ Lead. I did read Mayfly. I wasn't sure, because yeah, I was hoping I wasn't stealing too many picks from you. No, um, I I really liked it. I actually got to hear CJ Lead speak at a mm. Stoker Con. There was a really great panel. It was extreme and erotic horror. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> it took me a second. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> it was packed, too. Like, I don't think they were anticipating how big of a panel that would be, because I think Amazing. they booked, like, a smaller room, and all of us, it was, like, standing room only. We're, like, people sitting on the floor, like, standing by the walls. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we found our people. Yeah. And I, I will say after Mayfly, there are so many just like random things that I can't think about without mm-hmm. thinking of this book. Yeah. So, scarring. <laughs> <laughs> but I also had fun with it. Yeah. I'm so glad you loved it too. I can hear what you're saying. Yeah. I'm like, you know what I mean. If you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think the minute I read this book, I knew it was going to be one of my year end favorites. Actually, for both of these debuts, like the minute I was done, I was like, yeah. The first one I want to talk about is The September House by Carissa Orlando. This was one of the most inventive novels I have read in a long time. Of course, I was going to read it because it's a haunted house story. And that's always just a way (laughs) to get me to read a book. I love a haunted house story. And this is about a woman who lives in this haunted house. And what's different is she's very much aware of the house and its quirks. And she has just become used to it. She's like, listen, in September, the walls start bleeding. There's nothing I can do about it. When I first moved in, sure, I tried to scrub it. I tried to do this. Listen, if you go here, there is going to be a ghost that wants to talk to you about this. Again, you just learn to deal with it. Yeah, there's also the screaming. Again, you just learn to deal with it. (laughs) Oh, that's all. Love it. She's like, again, I love this house. Like, I am not leaving (laughs) this house. Um, and there's a thing where her daughter is trying to get a hold of her. She has not seen her dad in a while. And she's being the, the narrator's being very dodgy about like where the dad is. And she's finally like, okay, like I, you got me. He left and I, I just haven't seen him or heard from him. And I think just the way the world building around this novel was my favorite, but just as it went, I was just so enamored with what in the world is going on in this story. And I could not put it down. That is The September House by Carissa Orlando. 
Well, you definitely make that fun. I'll admit that was one I didn't get to use because it was a haunted house story and didn't think it would be up my alley. So that worked out perfectly there because I did see it. And I was like, oh, I you know, had good reviews. People really liked it. But everyone kept saying it was a haunted house story. So I was like, oh, let's definitely read that one. <laughs> so perfect. My next pick for debut is Death of a Bookseller by Alice Slater, which you could argue falls under the thriller horror category. So again, this one is a bit tangent to straight horror, but it's too good not to fit into this episode. So this is a story that follows a woman who is obsessed with true crime. And the story starts out, she is working at a bookstore, and she ends up meeting another woman who also appears to be obsessed with true crime. However, this other woman has a past and a history and is a first... at for, and is at first reluctant to share what that is, but eventually comes to light that they have their own personal history involving a story of a real life, you know, crime. And so within the story, they then goes from there. I give great synopsis. We all know this. But of course, what I want to recommend about this book is the fact that it really is a great love letter to true crime fiction, has some great conversations, which I think both of us grapple with. Well, I know you do. We, I just listened to the episode you did with Adam, um, Caesar talking about true crime and I think it's a conversation that kind of happens and comes up again and again where uh, I have a love and fascination with true crime but also a lot of mixed feelings around it considering the victims etc you know I could I don't mean to turn this into another episode on that but I I feel that way and I feel very mixed about the genre, but I keep going back to it. And I love this story because it's very much a love letter to those that love the genre. There's references to popular books like I'll Be Gone in the Dark and classics. And you'll see that within the narrative. They make references to kind of almost funny jokes about people mixing up serial killers and silly things like that and getting to see the real fans from the fake fans and so forth. But then again, it has those deeper conversations about really kind of going to the heart of it and questioning and making you reevaluate how you feel or consume the genre. So I think it's smart, but it's both a criticism of the genre, but also written for the fans. And so I think it walks the line really well. And I loved it. So that, again, is Death of a Bookseller by Alex Slater. I had not even heard of this one. Oh, I was so positive. I was like that you would read it just because it's such a book and up your alley. That does sound up my alley. Listen, I love grappling with the ethics of true crime and constantly like going back and forth. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, because it reminds me, I know you had read that nonfiction book um, that was dealing with similar topics a little while back. It was a year or two ago. Savage Appetite. Yes. Yeah. I wanted one... to mention it yeah. on the true crime episode and I forgot. <laughs> well, there you go. It's not good. Because I actually was like, oh, why didn't you mention it? <laughs> so perfect. Yeah. Because that's one that's been on it. my TBR since you talked about it. And I really should get to that one instead of reading other things but it happens that is life yes okay the second debut novel that I read this year and I immediately fell in love with was chlorine by jade song and I think this is one we actually both read too yes this is the one book on this list that had you not put it on the notes before I did I would have absolutely stole it from you but it's a very hard book to pitch and summarize so I decided not to fight you on it and let you give the pitch and then I'll just comment afterwards so that is my very selfish plan I totally understand that um this follows a teen girl named Renyu who is a swimmer in Pittsburgh whoop, whoop. and it's it is really yeah I'm already struggling <laughs> Oh, I'm so nice. I was like, I'll let you do this one. <laughs> um, so her family immigrated from China. So a lot of the story is dealing with 
yes, the immigrant experience. It is dealing with queer Asian identity. It is dealing with sapphic longing. It is dealing, I think, the best with teen angst. And Ren Yu was raised on stories from her mother about mermaids, and she just becomes obsessed with the idea of mermaids. And I think her teen angst goes like so far to where she's like, you don't understand me, but you don't understand me because I'm actually supposed to be a mermaid. And I actually just need to be in the water all the time. I am obsessed. Yes. No, it's so well done. I love this story for so many reasons. Uh, I love, and I think you do too, like stories about female athletes. I Mm -hmm. am not athletic, but for some reason I love like gymnastics, ballet, all of that. And so actually getting a swimmer story was just fantastic. I was enamored by this one. Easily just one of my all-time favorite new stories. I am obsessed with this one. I can't stop thinking about it. So I'm really glad we got to talk about it here. Definitely. I think what I love about athlete stories is the intensity of sports subculture. Yes. The fact that it becomes your entire life and it becomes in a way like a cult where like this is the jargon you use. Everything you think about, everything you eat is based around this one aspect of your life. Absolutely. my One of my favorite author who writes in the, if you can call it a subgenre of female athletics is Maggot Megan Abbott, I think is an author, yes, I believe you've read too, and I just love her work. And obviously this one is different in its own way. It doesn't feel like a rehash, but something very new and fresh, but exactly just capturing the culture, the just exactly, you don't get to be the best in any sport without putting in so much effort and time and the sacrifices that are made. And then again, a lot of what we're talking about is again, the coming of age, those different Mm -hmm. um, aspects of the story, but then without giving away too much, it really does lean into a horror story in a really smart and slow paced way. I remember reading Mm -hmm. this one and going, okay, why is this called horror? Why is this in this genre? And I really love where the book went. And again, I can't say anything about it, but I was quite satisfied. I found it to be very unnerving and strange and fit the story. By the time you got there, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm good with this. This is where the story needed to go. And I, I just, yeah, like I said, I can't stop thinking about this, this one. I highly recommend it as well. Are we ready to talk about things that we couldn't quite classify as horror, but we still loved? Yes, let's shove them into this episode and hope no one tunes out. So let me go first for something that's non-horror, but still in the realm of something that is dark and stabby. If you love thrillers and mysteries, I want to recommend Death of a Dancing Queen. And this is a new book from a brand new publisher, Dentura, that I just got a chance to work with this last year. And I am so excited about what they're coming out with within the crime genre. So this is a story that follows a woman who works as a private investigator. At the beginning of the story, there's a particular case that comes her way. There is a boyfriend whose girlfriend has gone missing. And so she is hired to go track the girlfriend down. However, she agrees that if the girlfriend is found and doesn't actually want to be found, she doesn't have to tell the boyfriend where he where she is. So the story follows her as she's investigating this case. This is a story that feels like a love letter to those of us, including myself, that loved Veronica Mars when it was on TV. I miss that series so much. And so very much it follows a smart, witty young woman who, again, is a private investigator. So what I like about PIs as a perspective in the story is that they don't have the resources and the authority of being the actual police. And so they always have to try to use their wits to encourage people to talk when they don't actually have to talk to them. There's no legal right or or reasoning to do that. 
And instead, you're just puzzling through the story. I love the character. Again, she felt very similar to Veronica Mars, but not a rehash, kind of her own perspective. But clearly, I think, again, a nod and inspiration coming from there, I suspect. And the case itself was interesting. I found myself guessing who was behind it and had all these different theories between what happened to this young woman. And it changed multiple times as there was different red herrings along the way. So I like an author that can kind of pull me along, had a really good time. And as best I know, this is going to be an ongoing series, and I'm definitely here to read more from this author. Hmm, so that, again, is Death of a Dancing Queen. That's on my radar now. Okay, my first pick is Whale Fall by Daniel Krauss. This was, I, well, I mean, I'm talking about it on my year end favorites, so obviously I absolutely loved it. So this is about a boy named Jay who his father's recently died he had a very tumultuous difficult relationship with his father he's having a tough time processing the death of his father his father was a a diver and a lot of this book gets into a lot of the technical aspects of that and so jay decides one day to just to do a dive in the ocean for his father's remains while he is doing this he is swallowed by a whale and he is in the digestive system of the whale and the way that this book is set up it is going back and forth in time and every time we are in the present timeline the chapter titles are how much air he has left and that number keeps getting smaller i'm stressed just hearing about this yeah that part is so stressful like every time i would see the the psi i would be like oh my god what is he gonna do what is he gonna do oh god this is my worst nightmare in book form i know it's such an emotional story as you really see him process this death in real time in these flashback chapters you know it gives you context to like what was this relationship why is he feeling this way what happened that led him here like how did they both end up in this situation it's giving all all of this context um i i think i cried i was stressed out i was chewing my fingernails <laughs> it just made me feel absolutely all of the emotions and um i heard daniel kraus talk about it hearing him talk about it and how how passionate he was about this and the depth of research that he did as crazy of a plot that it is like as realistic as possible so that is whale fall by daniel kraus definitely one i need to look into it's one that and i can kind of see it from the synopsis it just sounds so weird i wasn't quite sure what it was in terms of like what box to put it in so i never did get to it but uh you're making me question you know whether or not i need to get to that sooner i think you would like it i suspect i would so another one i want to talk about is probably one a lot of people have heard of but i'll give it a quick pitch anyway and that is Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang, which could be loosely described as a contemporary thriller. We follow a woman who is working as a writer. They're not very successful. However, they're friends with this Asian, very successful author. However, one day they go to their apartment, something goes wrong, and her successful writer friend dies. So naturally, what do you do? You steal your friend's next book, which hasn't been published yet, and then you go and produce and put it out into the world as your own book and the story goes from there. This is a book that has been largely inspired by I believe the own author's experience in the book industry. There's a lot of conversations surrounding own voices but also tokenism and just the question of who is allowed to write which stories and there's some really interesting questions within the book because of course the 
author within the story is trying to pretend that they are of a different heritage that they're not and so forth. So the story is multi-layered, it's conversational. And what I really love about it, what made me get really excited about this book is that despite that synopsis, I thought the book was going to be incredibly heavy-handed in its positioning of saying this is right, this is wrong. But the author, at least the way the narrative is written, often writes from the devil's advocate's perspective. And so there's times where I actually found myself almost questioning the other way. And it's kind of a book that makes you, as a reader, go around full circle. And so I think it's actually a book that will speak to those that don't necessarily think that they agree with the author. But when you get to the end of the book and you kind of see what it all is, I think what the author's trying to say makes a lot of sense and is a really smart response to what's going on with them in this industry. So I really liked it. And at the end of the day, it's honestly just a really fun, cute thriller. I think that it kind of leans between, again, being those kind of smart, funny books, but actually having a lot of deep messaging underneath. So again, if someone hasn't heard of that book, I know it's all over the internet, but that is Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang. That is one I still have to get to. But yeah, I have seen people screaming about this being like a five-star read since it came out. Yeah, it's pretty brilliant. I do think you'd like it for something, you know, between some of your horror picks. Okay, my next pick is Penance by Eliza Clark, which I did mention in the true crime horror episode. (laughs) I, I think, officially love Eliza Clark because I adored boy parts and I love this. But this is, again, looking at the true crime genre and really grappling with the ethics of what are we doing when we are telling these stories and the responsibility of how these stories are covered and are talked about and the things that need to be taken into consideration and kind of you as the reader reading this like fictional true crime book and wondering like what are the authors like this fictional author's intentions are they being completely truthful like are they maybe editorializing a little bit and like is there an angle how are these things presented like is it beneficial to talk about things this way like it is just all of this but also like with this kind of like you are reading this pulpy like really intriguing story with all these like intriguing points of view so like you're also participating in it This is shamefully an author I have not read, and I regret it every day, every time someone talks about one of their books, because I haven't read Boy Parts, I haven't read Penance, and I don't know why. I want to. I just keep picking up other books, and I'm starting to regret that right now, because I've heard nothing but good things about them, and I think I would really like them knowing, you know, the kind of the topics they discuss, the the book, and I think they're known for having a really interesting, like, nice writing style, which is something I've come to appreciate a little bit more as I get deeper into fiction. Yeah. Um, I would also really recommend the audio for both. I haven't read the audio for Boy Parts. I did that one, I think, digitally, but it's set in a um it's set in the UK in like a specific town and the the narrator has like that dialect and it just fits oh. it. Yeah. A and good dialect is beautiful. <laughs> it just gives it that sense of place. And same with this. Um Penance is like multiple narrators. So when it is the different girls being interviewed, there's different narrators for each of the girls and then like the the narrator that is the the author and just there was a lot of thought put into the production. That sounds great. So my next pick for something non-horror, but still in the, you know, in the 
realm of creepy and dark things is Becoming the Boogeyman by Richard Chismar, which is technically a follow-up novel, so I do recommend reading Chasing the Boogeyman first, which I probably talked about in one of our previous episodes. So in the original book, you follow uh, a fictionalized version of the author, Richard, who recounts his childhood growing up. There was a serial killer that was taking away individuals, and he follows the story then as an adult as he's trying to figure out who was behind it. So it's a coming-of-age mixed with a kind of uh, very much an amateur detective trying to piece everything together. And again, because the author chooses to write themselves into the story, it becomes very meta. So in this follow-up book, we follow them as there potentially is another person on the loose who is going around and doing very similar killings. So it's always a question of, is it a copycat? Is it the original killer? What is going on? So I don't want to spoil too much of the first book about how it ends, but instead I'll just say that this book once again leads into that feeling of, again, personal investigation. So you have someone who is not the police trying to investigate, put together the crime. And there are just some great scenes. So there's one with Richard and his wife. And again, it's supposedly fictional, but it feels so real where they're piecing together and reading all these letters, trying to find a clue. And we as a reader are just trying to figure it out and go along for the ride. It's addictive. This book, without giving away too much, leans into things like Silence of the Lamb and very much into real life serial killers like Ted Bundy. And I see all those inspirations. And they also does not shy away from them so they will make references recognizing that they're pulling from these famous sources and again it just gets all messy and confusing and thankfully at the end of the book they always have an afterward where they explain what is real and what is fictional because without it I would just be lost as to knowing how much to believe but it's so addictive I believe that there could be more to come within the series and I just want more highly recommend so becoming the boogeyman but you really want to start back with chasing the boogeyman both by Richard Chismar mm-hmm. I have this one on my shelf and I need oh. to get to it. Yes, you do. The audiobooks, speaking of which, are also fantastic for those. Ooh, okay. again, it's kind of, again, with a coming of age and you have that story being told to you. I, I really like these on audio. Ooh, that's good to know. All right. I read The Speed Queen by Stuart O'Neill. This was actually recommended to me by Paul Tremblay when we did our Unreliable Narrators episode, and it just sounded really intriguing. Um and then I saw that the Kindle version was on sale for like a dollar or something. And I was like, perfect. I need to read this. It's meant to be. Yeah, it was meant to be. And he was right. I absolutely loved this. I have enjoyed Stuart Onan's other books and I've talked about them um, on the podcast. But this is about a woman on death row who is set to be executed. Um, but in the story, Stephen King has, it's heavily implied that it's Stephen King, has purchased her life rights to write a story so he has sent her a list of questions and she has a tape recorder so you are reading her answering these questions and just the way she goes about it and dodges certain things she's just such a fascinating character and this was kind of a a situation where her and her boyfriend and kind of like her secret side girlfriend all like robbed um a restaurant and people died and just kind of she denies her involvement but then she says things that kind of like negate that and you just like don't know how much to trust this woman who's like telling you this story and you know this is her like last 24 hours so she's like 
answering questions as she's eating her last meal and telling you like what she got as her last meal and telling you about the way she grew up and telling you all about um, her background and how it is that she met this boyfriend and like what happened. And it was just really fascinating to be in that POV. So that is The Speed Queen by Stuart Onan. That sounds really interesting. I'm a sucker for an unreliable narrator. And I often think that I've kind of read or at least heard of most of them. Like a lot of the other books you're talking about on this list are things that were at least on my radar. Hadn't heard of this one. I must have missed when Paul Tremblay first recommended this on the podcast, but definitely one I'm going to have to look up and likely check out like everything else we're talking about here. I think it was last year because it was when he came on to talk about the Paul Bearers Club. Makes sense. Aren't we ready to talk backlist? Sounds good. I can go first here. So my first backlist novel was an easy pick. Um, That was Lunar Park by Brett Easton Ellis. Of course, the same author who wrote American Psycho. And again, I believe that was last year, one of my favorite backlist books. And so naturally, as I do with any time where I find an author I love, is I just start going through the rest of their backlist. And I find that if I like one book by an author, there's a good chance I'm going to like more. This one actually ties in really nicely because it is very much one to read after American Psycho. This is once again a meta novel. It's something you see I really like where Brett himself puts himself as a character within the story. So it's said in a fictionalized version of our world where he has already published American Psycho and now the police have contacted him that someone is supposedly doing crimes that are reminiscent and basically recreating the crimes of American Psycho within the real world. And then the character of Brett is also potentially seeing someone, someone is appearing to him and he doesn't quite know if he's going crazy or if something is actually going on. This is a book that was just so much fun to read. Again, I love metafiction where the author is kind of including themselves as a character. After loving American Psycho, this one was really, again, fun because it draws and discusses and kind of reexamines the story and very much at the same time makes it its own. So I enjoy this one. I was sucked in. Easily one of my early favorites of the year. Very hard to beat. There was very little last year or this year that we're finishing up that I loved as much as that one. So highly recommend it. Probably read American Psycho first, but if you love it and want more, Luna Park would be my place to go next. Um, my backlist came out last year. <laughs> and it is The Devil Takes You Home by Gabino Iglesias, which actually won the Stoker Award for Best Novel this year. And... I think I mentioned this on the in an earlier episode, but um, the Stoker Awards were here in Pittsburgh. So Jocelyn and I were like at a at a table, like for the the banquet and the awards. And someone at the table was asking for like he was taking bets on what would win best novel. And I was like, ah, oh, like I don't want to bet, but I think it's the devil takes you home. And then it won. And then I was mad I didn't take that bet. <laughs> This follows a man whose daughter is diagnosed with a terminal illness, and that takes a toll on obviously himself and his marriage. And he kind of decides that he's just going to do like one final job, you know, and this final job in quotation marks is like stealing money from a cartel like intercepting a shipment of money and um of course like what could go wrong it's always like just the one last job (laughs) then we're done yeah but just the way this story is told and this journey 
was so well done. I think the the people we meet and this idea of like, who can you trust? And the way the story was told, I don't know, was such a gut punch. And if you haven't read it, I just highly recommend it. Yeah, that's this one I read when it first came out. I think, yeah, you said last year. And all I remember is the beginning scene was such an emotional gut punch with the girl getting, I believe it was, I think it was when she was getting the cancer diagnosis. And just as a parent, my heart just was on the floor reading that. It was such a gut punch of a mm-hmm. moment. It's a gut punch sandwich, honestly. Yeah, I don't remember getting much uh, much yeah lighter after that. This is the energy we are starting with. Yes. So my second backlist pick is Rebecca by Daphne de Moria. You can't see Stephanie's dancing over there. And tell me I'm not the only one who, despite how much we read and how many, especially horror books we go into, that there's still spots or places where we're missing books that we should have read years ago. Tell me I'm not the only one reading Rebecca in 2023. So I know I should have read this how many years ago, but I finally got to it and, you know, well worth it absolute favorite of the year. So I think everyone knows this beloved classic, but of course it follows a woman who meets a man, they quickly become engaged and married, and he whisks her away to his manor. And you find out about the previous wife, Rebecca, and there's a lot of questions about what happened to Rebecca. And she slowly starts to piece things together. She's speaking with people. And I loved reading this so much because somehow, again, even though I only read this for the first time now, I'd never seen the movie and somehow managed not to be spoiled about the book. So I read it the same way that you would read a brand new thriller where you are following all the twists and turns. And I guessed everything that might happen to this young woman. And I suspected Rebecca and I suspected the husband and all the different ways you could put the story together. I was just enamored by it. And I really didn't know how the pieces were going to come together until they did. And it was just really fun. Like I can see very much the roots of the thriller genre within this book. I can see how well I think it has aged. I think it really holds up. I'm someone who sometimes does admittedly struggle with older writing, but again, the story just feels so timeless and especially timeless today in the quote unquote era of the thriller where the thriller genre is so popular. And when you look at what this book is doing, it's doing the same kind of domestic twisty turny thriller that we see today. And it just, it did it first. It did it amazingly well. The writing is beautiful. And I'm just impressed at a book again, that is that old, that arguably is pulling from twists and tropes that I've seen and read so many times since then or before still did in a way that felt fresh, even though I've read so many other things that of course have drawn from it before, but the original source material completely holds up and I just loved it. I, I can tell just from your dancing before that must be a favorite of yours as well. Yes. Um, I spoke with the author, Aaron A. Craig, and we did a whole episode just on Rebecca, like, few years ago um but yeah i just love daphne de Maurice's writing i love the way the story's told did you think that the main character's name was rebecca i did for a while like definitely when i started out i was like this is rebecca right and then i was like oh wait they and they don't actually say her name do they like She's i unnamed. didn't realize that until um uh, you know it wasn't actually until of course i went to go review it on my youtube channel that i kind of was looking up and being like oh and the woman's name and i was like what is the woman's name because like by that point i knew rebecca was the wife but by that point you know it's the question of yeah who was the woman and the choice to make her nameless i think is such a smart choice and again it's the kind of book that i would expect to be 
putting in our front list favorites, not on our back list. Like it's just amazing. Obviously, you know, again, it's written in a historical time period, but besides that, it holds up so incredibly well to our modern conventions and, um, you know, writing styles. You were speaking about the the impact it's had and how so many things are definitely drawing influence from Rebecca. And of yeah. course, I do have to add like the Taylor Swift song, Tolerate It. Thank you. I'm out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Love it. So what would you recommend reading next by Daphne du Maurier? Have you read more of her backlist? Um, what else have I read by her? Ooh, My Cousin Rachel. I was wondering about that one. Yes, that's my recommendation. And I see the main character is also not named Rachel. So I'll have to get used to that if the main character is not in the title. <laughs> that one I was able to, would be able to figure out, you know, based off context. It is about Rachel. Yeah. And that's what I think is interesting that, you know, it's ri- stories written about women, but not from that main women's perspective. I think it's a, you know, again, a, a choice that you would see more in some, you know, a modern novel trying to do something different or fresh. But like I said, she did it first so many years ago. My second backlist novel is Shirley Jackson's The Sundial. And I know as horror readers, so many of us love Shirley Jackson. We love The Haunting of Hill House. We love We Have Always Lived in the Castle. And I think this novel really gets into how funny Shirley Jackson can be. And if you've read her um, her other kind of like memoir books like Life Among Savages, you do see like a little bit more of that humor as she's like talking about raising her children. But this is about a wealthy family. They're all together for a funeral. There's a lot of drama surrounding the inheritance and who is going to get it and who is not going to get it. Somebody is convinced that the world is going to end and only they will be safe in this house. And it is the most ridiculous characters, like absolute rich people shenanigans who are like telling themselves and telling other people that the the world is ending and essentially they truly believe they are the only ones that are going to be safe um but you know as the reader you're reading this and you're also like are they like i don't know what what is the truth is the is the apocalypse coming is the sundial right i don't know that sounds amazing and i admit i haven't actually heard of that one before you're talking about it now uh, like you mentioned everyone knows her probably two most famous stories and then her short story the lottery I read in school and really loved it but I don't think anyone's talking about the sundial, at least in the little part of the internet that I live in. So I'm definitely going to have to look up more about that one. It's definitely more of like a dark comedy. I'm there for Uh, that. Yeah. But if you love just like rich people shenanigans, it's worth it. That could be fun. You ready to talk about some novellas? Sure. I can go first. So my first pick is A Scourge Between Stars by Ness Brown. And this is a space horror, which for those listening to this that share my taste in books, all I need to say is it's space horror. There you go. That is my pitch. But specifically, it's space horror where it is marketed as space horror and actually ends up being space horror, which probably sounds really obvious to those of you that don't read the subgenre. But it is easily one of the most mismarketed genres out there. The readers are continually gaslit to believe a book is going to be space horror and turns out to be something else. So it's space horror. The basic synopsis, if you actually want to know more about it, is that we follow a crew that is limping home from a failed colony attempt. And so they're coming back home. The ship is falling apart. Everyone is hungry. And strange things start to happen around the ship, as you would expect with a space horror book. And so the story slowly progresses. Again, it's a short novella, so it's not crazy long, but it's well-written. It has great characters. And most 
mostly I spent the book waiting to be disappointed because I've been disappointed by so many horror books that have come before that promised to be this space horror. And it really felt like what I was expecting to be. It didn't feel tropey, but very much it is what you would expect from that genre. If you love the alien movies and are looking for something like that in book form, this is something I can actually recommend as a similar feel. And I just really enjoyed it. It was space horror. That's all I got. That's all I got, but it's worth it. The Scourge Between <laughs> Stars by Ness Brown. How's that for a pitch? I love it. Is it space horror? I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, you're funny. <laughs> One of my favorite novellas of the year is Conjuring the Witch by Jessica Leonard. Um, I did an episode with her earlier this year about supernatural horror. And this is just a really good, like, religious horror, kind of female rage, witchy book. I don't want to say too much because it's a novella. I just think, like, if those things sound interesting to you, you should definitely check it out. I can think of several friends who you've just sold the book on that will be listening to this. <laughs> nice. And what's the name again? Oh, that is Conjuring the Witch by Jessica Leonard. I'll have to see if I can track it down myself. I need to read more witchy books. My other pick for novellas is Assault Grows Heavy by Cassandra Kaw. And this is somewhat of a retelling of the story of The Little Mermaid. It imagines what happens afterwards, the happily ever after, and really reimagines the mermaids as monsters. I realize, once again, we have another monster story in here. I'm noticing a few things, uh, like I said, recurring themes that keep coming back and back. You can see what we like. And so this one, I really like Cassandra Kaw's writing. I really think that it's probably, in my mind, the strongest prose I've seen by her, uh, for my taste at least. The story is lyrical and weird and a bit, I want to say, magical. Like, it's just not as grounded in reality as some of the other books I'm talking about here. Instead, it's just this, again, this fairy tale, but twisted and dark and I liked it. It's definitely a book for acquired tastes, but it hit on the right notes for me. And I had a good time with it. It was strange, but I mean that in a really good way. So that again is Assault Grows Heavy by Cassandra Kaw. Hmm. This is again another one I have on my shelf that I've been meaning to read. Yeah, I suspect you'll really like this one. You get a chance to check it out. My next novella is a recent release is Candy Cane Kills by Brian McCauley, because as we both know, I love a slasher and you take something and make it a holiday slasher. I mean, how could I not I just absolutely love it? Um, yes. So this is about a family that the mom and dad are kind of on the brink of divorce, but the dad finds this rental property up in Big Bear where they are going to spend Christmas as kind of like his attempt to like we're going to save our family. What they don't know is that there was like a brutal murder that took place at that house, of course, that resulted in like a family dying on Christmas Day or a family like all dying Christmas morning and then a fire happened. Oh, little uh, details. Don't worry about it. It's definitely not going to come back into this story. Um, not a problem. But I thought this story just had so much heart. I loved all the like very fleshed out family dynamics. Like you kind of see things from everyone's point of view. And I just thought it was really well thought out and really well executed. I had a really good time with it. That is Candy Cane Kills by Brian McCauley. 
I definitely need to check that one out. I love horror set around the holidays. So I might try to sneak that in before Christmas if I can. I know people listening to this, if it is around uh, Christmas themselves, might want to check it out. But that sounds great. And I definitely think, at least from my own perspective, that I've seen a couple of horror stories that showed up around that same time period, right when kind of Airbnbs and house rentals were starting to just be a thing. And I definitely noticed that there was a lot of fear around, you know, all the horrible things that would happen with Airbnbs. So I definitely am not surprised that there was, uh, you know, stories that came out of that era. (laughs) Yeah. All right. We're ready to talk short story collections. Sure. So I have uh, two recommendations here. The first one is Out There Screaming, an anthology of New Black Horror, edited by Jordan Peele. Yes, the fantastic director of some of my favorite horror movies. And this is a great anthology. It has several of my favorite authors in there. So the first story easily was my favorite, and that is by N.K. Jemisin. And the story follows from the perspective of a young woman who is driving. She is pulled over by this white cop and... Just the whole situation, the fear of being aware that you are a Black minority in front of law enforcement, it definitely speaks to a lot of the conversations that I know have been happening in the States at different times. And it's just a good story that leans into real life horror in a way that felt very authentic, terrifying, and I think N.K. Jemison is a beautiful writer. Beyond that, there are some other fantastic authors within this collection. So Rebecca Roanhorse and Nettie Akorfor, two of my other favorites, and a lot of other Black authors who I hadn't read or heard of even before that I got to check out, which I always love. I think that's one of the wonderful things about short story collections is that they give you a chance to kind of sample authors that maybe weren't even on your radar. So highly recommend that again is Out There Screaming by, or at least edited by Jordan Peele. I am still in the middle of this, but I am very much enjoying it. I have oh. been like taking my time reading like yeah. a story at a time, but Absolutely. it's been great. Yeah, it's so good. Um, I actually did not read a ton of short story collections this year, but one that was a standout was Abnormal Statistics by Max Booth III. The first story is like a very personal story to him. Like if you're familiar with Max Booth and his upbringing, um, it is about a boy who's family essentially is living in a hotel and the boy kind of develops um, kind of like a Truman show syndrome where he's like kind of unsure of like reality that was a great story and there were also just so many other stories that had like really cutting horror and really just like a body horror that I still think about that really stuck with me (laughs) oh I definitely have those stories in my life (laughs) So I would recommend that. He also had a really good interview uh, episode on Talking Scared. Uh, So that is Abnormal Statistics by Max Booth III. And I want to give a brief recommendation to Night of the Living Queers, 13 Tales of Terror Delight, edited by Shelley Page. And this is a young adult horror collection that specifically, as you can probably guess from the title, focuses around queer teens. Specifically, the stories, for the most part, all take part on Halloween night. So I know for those of you, like myself, that really love something specific to the holiday, this could be great to read leading up to Halloween next October, or if you're like us, read it any time of year. But I like these stories. There were some really cute ones. I don't read a lot of YA, but 
these are ones that I just really enjoyed. And despite being horror, I thought they brought a lot of optimism to the queer experience and hope. So I do think if, say, you have a teenager in your life who's come out as queer or non-binary or anything like that, I think that this is a collection that would be a nice gift for them. I mean, this is what I would gift to someone for for Christmas, but I'm also someone who gives horror to everyone if I can for (laughs) Halloween and Christmas. So uh, this is, yeah, just a really nice story collection. And that, again, is Night of the Living Queers by Shelley Page. I love it. I also read a few stories in that and really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's a good one. My next pick is technically backlist, but I thought it had to be mentioned on this year-end favorites, and that is Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. I cannot believe it took me this long to read it. This is a book that people have been recommending to me for years and have been telling me that I would love it. And I know all of you were right. I did, in fact, absolutely love this collection. Five stars. I was just going to say the same thing. I was like, how can this be on your list for this year? You read, I feel like you talked about in a previous episode. I actually, for disclosure, have not read this collection myself. I think I'd really like it too. But if there ever was a Stephanie collection, just from everything I know about it, I thought that you had read it already, knowing your tastes. I talk about In the Dream House a lot. And I think because of that, people are like, if you have not read Her Body and Other Parties, like, what are you doing? Yeah. That's a really good point since that one, I think it's a little bit less well-known than this one. All right. We're ready to talk graphic novels and comics. Sure. I'll have you go first. Okay. Again, mine are both backlist, but still stuff I really enjoyed and wanted to mention. The first is Squad by Maggie Tokuda-Hall. I read this because it was one of the young adult picks for the Summer Scares program. Um, And I'm really glad they picked it because I absolutely loved this. This is about a girl who is living with her mom. She's going to this new school and she kind of finds an in with the popular girls and the popular girls have a bit of a secret. And that secret is they may be werewolves. Oh, just, just a small secret. A little bit. I will say, if you're a fan of Jennifer's body and the direction that that goes, you will enjoy Squad. Like, that is a perfect, like, read-alike that's movie awesome. book recommendation. Yeah. Oh, that's really great. Uh, I actually haven't read a lot of graphic novels this year, which I wanted you to go first. So my recommendation is one that, while I haven't read a lot, I really love and recommend this one, is PTSD Radio. And I've read volumes one through four, which is collected in two omnibuses. And the second omnibus was published for the first time in 2023, so it's kind of front list. But this is one that I want to recommend to those of you that love Junji Ito as much as I do. And weirdly, I don't think I read any Junji Ito this year. I don't know what I was doing with my life. But if you're looking for something like his work, perhaps you have read everything that's translated. This is the closest I've ever gotten to another horror manga that touches on his, both the weirdness of his art style, as well as the bizarreness of his storytelling. In terms of the plot, I struggled to actually pitch this one in a cohesive way because it almost reads like a collection of short stories. So you have these fragmented stories that kind of tie in together. There's weird bits of body horror, the stories involving people's hair doing strange things. And it's more of just an experience to read rather than something to read for a particular plot 
or narrative if I'm not misconstruing the story, but I really love my time with it. It was weird and strange. And again, any story that can give me vibes of Genji Ito, it's a hard comparison to make, but I really think that this is my closest recommendation. Highly recommend it. And that again is PTSD Radio. And so far I've read volume one through four. Interesting. Okay. That Genji Ito comparison is getting me. Yeah. I know there's other fans listening in that share my love of him. Okay. My next pick, again, also backlist, is The Lolo Woods by Carmen Maria Machado, which I mentioned on my Woods Horror episode with Aaron Adams. This book follows two teenagers named L and V who live in Shudder to Think, Pennsylvania. There's something going around that eats away at people's memories. And the story is really them looking into like what this is and questioning a lot of the history in this town. Like in the book, they go see like the town witch who looks like a toddler, like a a small child. It was such a weird, jarring (laughs) part of the book. I'm like, sorry, the town witch is this child, but she just takes the form (laughs) of a child. Um, Yeah, it was just such a fascinating story and also had some unexpectedly grotesque body horror all throughout. So highly recommend. That is The Lolo Woods by Carmen Maria Machado and Danny. Well, that sounds amazing. Like I said, for whatever reason, not on purpose, but I didn't get to as much horror graphic novels and manga as I wished I did this year. So I'm basically just going to immediately read yours just to (laughs) start with the good stuff. Yeah. All right. And our final book category is nonfiction. I can go first because I have a lot of stuff to talk about. (laughs) The first one is a book I do not shut up about because I had such a good time with it, but that is Paperback Crush by Gabrielle Moss. This was put out by Quirk, and it's very similar to Paperbacks from Hell, like in the way that that's set up, except this is that for teen books from the 80s and 90s. Oh my gosh, I need this. It is so good. Just delving into the way things were portrayed, um, you know, it's separated into sections like books about romance, books about friendship, books about family, horror, of course, you know, getting into like Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein and like the Caroline B. Cooney, like these big stranger danger fears we had. Um, uh, some of these synopses were absolutely unhinged. I, I can't believe these books were written. And it made me want to find like find hunt these down and pick them up i just had such a great time with this that is paperback crush by gabrielle moss that sounds amazing so i know that i say this with every book you keep mentioning that i have to go read it but i'm probably going to read that one first honestly over top of everything else we've talked about that is my childhood all those like carolyn b cooney books Mm -hmm. and um oh i just yeah i suspect my childhood is probably in that book uh and i want to relive it So my first nonfiction pick, and I really love this category. I just feel like it gives us a chance to talk about things that are kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, tangent, um, you know, side interests that we don't always get to talk about otherwise. 
So mm-hmm. my first pick is a true crime one. I didn't actually read as much true crime, but this one was fantastic. So my first pick for nonfiction, and I really love this category. It's a great chance to talk about books that are just, you know, other passions of ours. And my first pick is I Know Who You Are, uh, How an Amateur DNA Sleuth Unmasked the Golden State Killer and Changed Crime Fighting Forever by Barbara Ray Venter. That is a long title, but the book is fantastic. So this is a book that I would recommend to those of you that have already read I'll Be Gone the Dark and some of the follow-up books that came afterwards that came about and explained how the Golden State Killer was caught. And so this is kind of, for me, the final piece of that story. It's told from the perspective, as the title suggests, of the individual who used the DNA evidence to track down and determine who that person was. And they were not a DNA specialist by trade. They actually worked as a lawyer, but not even a criminal lawyer. I believe they did patents. And so in their free time, they volunteered for this organization that would help people who I believe did not have a connection to their family. So maybe they were adopted wanting to find out their birth families. And so they would use their DNA, pop it into these genealogy sites and help them to figure out who some of their close relatives might be and try to piece that together. The police then contacted them with the Golden State Killer DNA and asked them to see if they could do the same thing. And my understanding from reading previous books is just the idea that someone popped the DNA into the genealogy websites and, you know, the person basically just popped up. But the actual complications of doing that were better explained in this book in a way that I didn't really understand beforehand. So... If you picture the idea that you put in this DNA, but again, that individual is not in the database and their parents aren't in the database and their brother isn't in the database, but there is some vague relative that is in the database. So you have to build up the tree of both individuals to eventually find corresponding great, 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 et cetera, grandparents, and then kind of build the tree and see those connections. This is a book that I found absolutely fascinating. I wanted to be a DNA sleuth myself. I wanted to go and do this. And I was talking about this book with my husband, trying to get him as passionate and excited about this topic as I was. And it's one of those times where he's like, "Uh uh-huh, okay, honey. Tell me I'm not the only one who has those moments. But if you can't tell, I just found this book really fascinating, geeking out about the methodology of doing this. And again, I think it really shines light on the complications and mastery of that. Again, it sounds like a really easy thing. Oh, why don't we just throw all the DNA into these databases? But because of the legal complications, the actual physical time that is required to do one of these, it's just a lot more complicated than it originally sounded. But it is obviously well worthwhile in these huge cases where you can actually potentially find the right person. So I love this one, geeked out about it, can't stop thinking about it. And again, I think if you've read like Paul Hole's book and again, the original book that brought out this to light and there's other books that have come along the way, there's some Audible podcasts. For me, I've kind of read through all of those and this is the last piece that really kind of put that final information in place about how the killer came to be caught. So highly recommend it. Again, that is I Know Who You Are by Barbara Ray Venter. Okay, my next pick is 90s Bitch, Media, Culture, and the Failed Promise of Gender Equality by Allison Yarrow. And this is looking at the 90s. And I think as a time in the 90s was so optimistic and in a way that we kind of felt that we were like post-history, like we had figured everything out and really digging into the feminism that came from that kind of this Spice Girls, girl power feminism, and also looking into notable women that were talked about in the media a certain way. Um, And if you listen to your wrong about there's like 
a whole series about this, you know, the way we talked about Anna Nicole Smith, the way we talked about Tanya Harding, the way we talked about, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the Long Island Lolita, just a, a really deep look into that. And I think the way we tried to like reclaim the word bitch and like, did we do that? I don't know. It's like a very critical look at like what this meant and like what we tried to do and what truly came of it. You always find the most interesting nonfiction books. That sounds so interesting. I'm definitely going to see if I can look that up. Thank you. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, And yeah, if you're like a big like 90s person, like listen to a lot of 90s music and to that, highly recommend it. There are many videos of me dancing to Spice Girls. I (laughs) will not put them on the internet, but they exist somewhere. (laughs) They're lovely, I'm sure. So my other pick for nonfiction is The Fright Before Christmas, Surviving Krampus and Other Yuletide Monsters, Witches and Goats by Jeffrey Belanger. And this, as you can tell, is just a nonfiction account of Christmas, but specifically focusing on the creepy aspects. So it's a very short book. I did on audio as I received a review copy that way. And it talks about the post-Christian history, about why we celebrate this dark time of year. And then again, going into obviously Krampus and some of the other monsters I was less familiar with and talking about those and I enjoyed it a lot of the information honestly I had heard already but it's just because I'm so interested in these kind of creepy aspects of the holiday I think I'd recommend this one to those that like myself don't always love like the cutesy side of Christmas and enjoy something a little bit darker this time of year so if you're listening to this and you haven't had Christmas yet maybe it's something you want to pop in while you're like making cookies or something if you need an audiobook to listen to and my favorite part about this and you were probably wondering if it's coming up but yes they did talk about the office episode because I would have been very disappointed if they hadn't so I was pleased that they made a reference to that which made the book so much better because they couldn't ignore that piece of pop culture if you're going to have a book about the modern views on Krampus and other creepy Halloween and hot because you can't have an episode of because you can't have a book about the modern rendition of Krampus without talking about The Office. So that, again, is The Fright Before Christmas by Jeff Malinger. That sounds really good. It's fun. Um, my final pick is The Black Guy Dies First, Black Horror Cinema from Fodder to Oscar by Raman R. Means Coleman and Mark H. Harris. This was just a great overview and look into black representation in cinema um from where it started to you know the tropes of like oh yeah every movie like the black guy dies first into kind of the prestigious like jordan peele era of black horror and there was just so much and i could not believe how like in depth this was like i would read it and be like oh that's a deep cut oh yeah like I didn't even think about that one um and so excited to see you know their essays and takes on a lot of black horror that like black horror movies that I've loved I was just like so excited I'm like oh I remember that one I really love that one I can't wait to see what they say um and you know of course with books like this you're leaving with a ton of new recommendations as well you're like oh I need to check that out I also need to check that one out you're just gonna leave this book with a giant list oh that sounds so good yeah so that is the black guy dies first black horror cinema from fodder to oscar that sounds fantastic because i've really enjoyed the new jordan peele movies and assumingly just because again i don't 
watch as much horror as I read. Uh, I kind of started, and I think a lot of my impressions of black horror kind of come from these very modern takes, but I know the tropes, and I see it now that I am watching through more of the classics, that the black guy does tend to die pretty early, if not first, in a lot of movies. And so I'm really interested to read something like that. I think it would help me to kind of round out my, you know, background and more understanding about the that side of the film industry. Well, are we ready to talk chilling obsessions? Sure. So I assume the purpose of this section was always for us to highlight, you know, underhyped, hidden gems, things that no one had heard about. But for whatever reason, you ended up with a co-host who, like I mentioned just a moment ago, reads a lot more than I watch. So I am incredibly basic and am constantly trying to fill in the gaps of movies that I should have watched probably 10 years ago at least and haven't yet. So I have two movies I just want to mention. I'll keep it quick because, again, no one needs me to pitch these movies to them. But I finally saw the first Alien movie, and it was amazing. We were trying to coordinate to watch it with a group of friends, and uh, my husband and I ended up watching it just ourselves. And then a week later, we had our friends over, and then we watched it all again. So I am really enjoying that. The intention is for us to go and watch the rest of the trilogy, but as you probably find, lining up time to get friends all together to watch a movie. So I haven't watched the other Alien movies, uh, Aliens and Alien 3, but I'll be reporting back. I'm sure I'll love them as well because, again, space horror, that's all I need to know. I Everyone told me I would love those movies, and you know, so far it's been fantastic. The other one I finally got to see was The Conjuring, another movie I watched with the same group of horror friends, and that one was just a fun possession story. I love this genre, and it was actually interesting because my book club had previously read the Warren's memoir. And I actually really struggled reading that because again, it's read from their perspective or written from their perspective. And so everything that they're saying in their memoir is read to be believed to be true. And as I've said before, I'm a huge skeptic. I don't really believe in the supernatural things like that. And so I remember reading the book and trying really hard to be polite to my friends that were believing everything in the memoir. However, watching it as a movie was a completely different experience because again, it's presented as a fictional story and I love fictional possession stories. So I loved it. Our friends were making fun of just like the, I don't know, just kind of, you know, always laughing at a family and all Mm -hmm. the ins and outs of a story like this, where, you know, the family's doing something you're like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And, uh, you know, we're kind of just trying to keep track of how many girls they had because, wow, that family had a lot of kids. So, yeah, uh, yeah, we enjoyed that one quite a bit. And I've heard the sequels are quite good. So at least people have told me to go on to at least one more. So, again, I got more stuff to watch coming into the new year. So those are my underhyped hidden gem recommendations, Alien and The Conjuring. So, yes. I love it. I mean, classics for a reason, right? Um, my pick is... I was surprised by it. It is Hell House LLC Origins, the Carmichael Manor. And I say I was surprised because I loved the first Hell House LLC. I made it 30 minutes into the sequel, never watched the third one. So I was like, this series is just done for me. Um, But I heard good things about this. This is another found footage story. And the story that it's like that the people in the movie are digging into is kind of the prequel to Hell House LLC. And I will say this movie was terrifying in a way that I was not expecting. I do find the first Hell House LLC movie scary, and this one scared the crap out of me. Oh, that sounds amazing. Pilot on my very long, long watch list. (laughs) Yeah, this is on Shudder. Oh, you can't see it, but Stephanie, you're holding up your awesome sweater that says, What's Your Final Girl Song? So yeah, it is that time. Rachel, what is your final girl song? 
So I don't know if I should admit this, but I picked up my final girl song back in October and I then had that. to nervously wait to make sure that you were going invi- to invite me back this year to do the episode. I was like, well, what if she doesn't invite me this year? But I did come prepared this time. So I know last year I got a lot of love for talking about metrics. So I thought I'd talk mm-hmm. about another Canadian uh, musicians. And so here I want to recommend and put as my final girl song, I Am Not Your Hero by Tegan and Sarah. And I'll just read out a couple lyrics because I think it explains why I want to use this pick. So I'm not going to sing them because no one wants that. But standing where I am now, standing up at all, I was used to feeling like I was never going to see myself at the finish line. I'm not their hero. But that doesn't mean that I wasn't brave. I never walked the party line. Doesn't mean I was never afraid. I'm not your hero. So I really love it that it, again, it's kind of an anti-hero song, but really about, I think it just, it it fits so well with the final girl narrative about, you know, you don't put yourself in that position, but you're kind of left there and talking about the reluctant bravery and kind of, you know, it's the idea of being brave isn't about being afraid, but, uh, you know, doing the thing anyway, which I think is a nail gaming quote that I'm paraphrasing there. I love that. Um, Tegan and Sarah, very good addition to the podcast. Absolutely. Um, I am going to go with Blood and Thunder by Mastodon. Um, And this is from Leviathan, which is like a concept album all about Moby Dick. And so Blood and Thunder specifically is about like the obsession Captain Ahab has with Moby Dick, but I don't know. I've been going to the gym a lot this year and it is just like a song that really motivates me. And I feel like if I'm a final girl, like that is what I want. Like driven by this like adrenaline rush. Like, yeah, you need white whale song. holy grail. Yes. Oh, I More vibes driven, but Yeah, exactly. I think it would be a great like adrenaline song and someone like runs out of the woods covered in blood. Yeah. I think oh, it for fits. sure. All right. We're Rachel. All right. Well, Rachel, where can people find you online? So most days I live on YouTube. So you can find me there at the Shades of Orange. That is my main profile where I review and talk about horror, thrillers, other dark things, as well as science fiction, fantasy, if you're interested in those genres. And then I'm still on Twitter at Shades underscore Orange. I think I'm the last person there, (laughs) but uh, I'm still there a little bit. And then you can also find me on Instagram also at the Shades of Orange. All right. Well, thank you so much again for taking this time to come and chat with me about year-end favorites. Oh, I love doing it. It's honestly a bonus that it works out to be an episode because I do this anyway. It's so much fun to catch up and so overdue. And besides, now I know exactly what I'm going to read next year and then we'll hear all about it in my backlist favorites as we always do, right? (laughs) That's our thing. Yeah. No, thanks so much for having me. This is always so fun. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on threads, TikTok, and Instagram at Books in the Freezer, or send us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes will be at booksinthefreezer.com, where you will find a list of the books mentioned, as well as links on how to support the podcast if that is something you are interested in. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at that's what she read and that's that's with two A's. Thank you for listening and see you next time on Books in the Freezer. Mm-hmm.